We are going to read from Luke 21, verses 29 through the end of that chapter, verse 38. Going to complete uh, Luke 21 here. Next week is Palm Sunday already. And then the week following is uh, Resurrection Day, uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a couple of passages from the prophet Isaiah next Sunday, Isaiah 59, and then the first uh, part of Isaiah 60 on uh, Easter morning. So you can uh, be preparing for, for those two uh, messages in the coming weeks. And then the last Sunday of uh, April will follow Easter, and uh, I'm planning on uh, doing one of my uh, biographical sketches um, on uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, great pastor in the uh, 20th century in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones. That'll be at the end of uh, April. And then I go on sabbatical. So uh, that's uh, what's to come for the next few Sundays. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, now as we turn our attention to the words of Christ, Revealed here in uh, the Gospel of Luke, we pray for your help, Lord, that we would receive these words as not just the words of some author written down many years ago, definitely not just the words from some man standing before this group of people from a pulpit, but from the very mouth of God as your word has been breathed out onto the pages of our Bibles. So help us receive your word, to trust your word, and may your word be the lens through which we see everything else. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This past Tuesday night, I was uh, going through the bedtime routine uh, with Betty, our, our four-year-old daughter, and uh, she got into her bed and looked up and immediately noticed that we had put up a calendar on her wall next to her bed. Now, she is somewhat familiar with calendars because uh, we have one hanging in our kitchen, and uh, each of her siblings has one hanging on the walls in their bedrooms, so she recognized, she recognized it, she she knew she had seen it before, but, but, but still didn't exactly understand 
its significance. So she said with, with excitement, Daddy, Daddy, someone put one of those on my wall. Daddy, now I have one of those. Well, Greta, her mother, was the one who put, the, put up the calendar on her wall, and so uh, we did that so we could teach her about the difference between, of course, the days and, and months, and uh, I began then to do that with her a, a little bit. I, I showed her, you know, what, what day it was uh, on Tuesday, and, and then uh, when she woke up in the, in, in the morning, what day it would be on Wednesday, it would be, be a new day once she woke up, and then I showed her which day you know, would be the coming day on the calendar. And of course, um, since we were so close to the end of the month, I showed her that, you know, in a, in a couple of days, she would, she would wake up and it'd be a new month. And so we'd have to turn over the calendar to April. And she seemed very interested in that. And the next morning, uh, when I brought her downstairs to the kitchen, the first thing that she said when she saw her brother, Luther, was, Luther, tomorrow is going to be a new day. <laughs> Luther and I were a little confused about what, what she meant, but you know, we didn't want to quench her enthusiasm at all. So yes, yes. Isn't that great, Betty? Tomorrow will be a new day. And then Packer came down for breakfast, and Betty said the same thing to him. Packer, tomorrow it'll be a new day. Then she pointed at the calendar. So then I began to understand, oh, she's referring to what we talked about last night with her calendar. She was excited to tell the boys that it would soon be a new month. She was just a day early with her prediction. But she really was looking forward to that new day, to that day. And here in our verses this morning, Jesus is definitely helping us to focus Primarily on two days. Jesus is here saying there are only two days that really matter for us. Today and that day. Today and that day. Those two days matter more than any other day. Now you all know, of course, which day today is. It's, it's the present Whatever day it is at the present, that's today. That day matters. But that day would be the day that all of history is, is heading towards. Otherwise known as, as judgment day. Jesus mentions it here in verse 36. The day when you will stand before the Son of Man. That day's coming. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for that day, and he's preparing us for that day as well. What you do today matters for that day. So we must be ready to stand before the Lord by living each day in light of that coming day. That's the main theme we have here from this passage this morning, we must be ready to stand before the Lord by living each day in light of that coming day. Live today in light of that day. So we've come to the end of chapter 21 of uh, the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' teaching on the judgment that was going to fall upon Jerusalem about 40 years after his crucifixion. 
Uh, Jesus related the trouble that was going to, to befall Jerusalem in AD 70 to the trouble that would also come upon the world just prior to his second coming. Uh, these were some of the final lessons that Jesus taught the people who followed him before he was crucified. Uh, so these are very significant words for them as well as for us. His words were first directed at those uh, who might still be alive when the destruction would come upon Jerusalem. But they were also directed at, at his followers throughout history. For we all must prepare ourselves for his coming at a time that has not been revealed to us. Uh, so we find that a common theme from these last verses of his teaching is to look. To look. Jesus wants his disciples to be on the lookout here, to have their eyes open, to stay alert. He, he instructs them and us on some specific things that we ought to be looking at and looking for. And that makes up the, the structure of our passage uh, and the structure of this sermon. We are to first look out, there verses 29 through 32, to look out. Then verses 34 and 35, we are to, to look in. And then verse 36 tells us to look up. And Jesus will also teach us what we are to look through whenever we do look. That's verse 33 and verses 37 and 38. So looking how, uh, learning how to look in all these ways will help each of us to be able to stand on that day, to stand before the Son of Man. So first, look out, verses 29 through 32. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Well, since verse 8 of Luke 21, Jesus has been teaching about different signs that will be taking place in the world, which would point toward either the, the great trouble of the Roman attack on Jerusalem or the end of the world as we know it, return of Christ. For those listening to him, the attack on Jerusalem would seem like the end of the world, but he was cautioning them, saying that, that, that it wouldn't be, but that the distress that is experienced then would be like the distress just prior to his return, his return upon the earth. Uh, so he mentioned signs here um, in, in the heavens and in the seas and great distress upon all the earth, very noticeable things that his followers would be able to see. They are signs pointing toward times of judgment that were already determined to take place by God, already a part of his plan. So here in verses 29 and 30, Jesus relates those signs with trees. You know, one of the clearest signs that, that we have that summer will soon be here is just to simply look at the trees. The past uh, two months, we have enjoyed many warm summer-like days, but it's clearly not summer yet because if you look at the trees when you leave the service this morning, you won't see any green leaves on those trees yet. Now, some of the trees are starting to bud. That's a, that's a sign. And once these trees will, will all be covered with green leaves, 
well, summer will be right around the corner. And that's what Jesus is teaching here in these verses. He's saying, look, look, watch, pay attention. When you see these signs that I was just talking about, you will know it's close. You'll know it's right around the corner. Now, Jesus and Luke cared greatly about the Christians who would be in Jerusalem during the first century. We, we know from the book of Acts that after the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost, many Jews in Jerusalem came to follow Jesus. The church in Jerusalem remained a large and influential gathering of believers throughout the early years of the church. A good number of scholars believe that, that Luke wrote this gospel during the time when the occupation of Judea was beginning to, to take place. And so he had in mind to warn the believers in Jerusalem and Judea of what was about to come upon them. So, so Jesus wants them to watch out and to act to avoid the death and destruction that would come upon Jerusalem. And Jesus was also speaking to a different group of believers, that is all those who, like us, would read his words here recorded in the Gospels. Therefore, this warning is also for us regarding the Lord's return and the day of judgment that is to come. We are to be on the watch for that as well, looking for the signs that, that he mentions in the preceding verses, primarily there in verses 25 through 28. Our Lord has mercifully provided us with help. These things are, are the green leaves appearing on the trees, which will confirm for us that our redemption is drawing near, that we will soon see the Lord and what we have been longing for will come. So watch, he says. Look out. Be ready for it. And then in verse 32, our Lord announces something that has been difficult for Bible readers and teachers to understand. Look at verse 32. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So if we're going to correctly interpret what Jesus meant by this statement, we will need to understand what Jesus was referring to as this generation. Over the years, Bible scholars have come up with several different interpretations for the generation that Jesus is referring to here in this verse. But I think it really only comes down to, to two options. The most natural reading is that Jesus was referring to the generation of the disciples as those who were hearing him speak in the temple on that day that he said this. In which case, the all that has taken place would refer only to the destruction of Jerusalem within the next 40 years, which would, would definitely be within the lifespan of that particular generation. In that case, it is a a merciful, direct warning to them about when it will come. He's saying, look out, it's coming soon. Many of you will still be alive, so be prepared, be ready for it. The other option points to a type of generation that was present then and will still be around at the time of his second coming. 
If that is the case, then it cannot possibly be referring to just the lifetime of the disciples and people living at that time, for his return has not yet taken place. It's been almost 2,000 years since he said this. So whenever you're trying to figure out how the author is using a certain word or phrase, one of the best things to do is just take a look and see how that same word or phrase is used in other parts of the book. And so as we do that in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus speaks of this generation, he almost always is using it to refer to the unbelieving Jews who had rejected him as the Christ. In Luke chapter 11, verses 51 and 52, Jesus says there in both those verses that this generation of unbelieving Jews would be condemned on the day of judgment for their refusal to listen to Jesus' teaching and to accept that he is the Christ that God sent into the world. Then in Luke 17, just a few pages back, Luke 17, verse 25, when Jesus was also teaching about his second coming, he says this, verse 25 of Luke 17, but first he, that is the Son of Man himself, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So those are just three out of nine, three out of nine similar examples where this generation refers very clearly to the unbelieving Jews who had rejected Jesus. Therefore, Jesus may be saying, back here in chapter, chapter 21, verse 32, he may be saying, and I think he most likely is, that there will always be a majority of people who will stubbornly hold on to their unbelief, who will reject Jesus as Lord all the way until the day comes until the day of his return comes, until all this has taken place. This unbelieving generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So are you a part of that generation? Are you a part of that group of people, that, that majority group of people in the, in, in the world who don't listen to Jesus? Could Jesus have been referring to you here in this passage this morning? Well, if so, look out. Look out. Today is the day for you to repent of your pride, repent of your unbelief, of your stubbornness, and come to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior the Lord and Savior that you so desperately need. Today is the day before that day comes. Today is the day of salvation. So humble yourselves and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who saves you from your sins. Then to verse 34 and 35, we are to look in. Look in. He says, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that, and that day, that day, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So here in these verses, Jesus wants his hearers to, to look in, to, to look in their hearts 
for signs of unbelief. We are to look in our hearts to see what we really love, what we are really putting our hope in. We are to be honest with ourselves and check whether or not we are really taking his words seriously. Now, Jesus has been been teaching about some things that that I would imagine the people listening to him didn't really want to be thinking about. Things like destruction, death, and the world-changing events that were about to come upon their homeland. Distressing things. And let's be honest, we don't like talking about distressing things either. We don't like to think about the end of the world or our own mortality or facing a holy God in judgment. We stay away from those subjects, but yet we know they are a reality We know they are coming. Jesus talks about those things. So what do we do about it? How do we we respond? Well, we we see here that human nature really hasn't changed much since the time of Christ. Look look again at what Jesus says, uh, what he's warning the people about here in verse 34. Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and careless life and that day come upon you like a trap. Just like people today, people then were known for drunkenness. They're known for dissipation, which is a word that means the the condition of someone who is not feeling well because of a hard night of drinking, uh, like a hangover. People in those days dealt with their problems by drinking by drinking alcohol in order to forget about their problems. This was also a clear way for people to not have to think about ultimate things, like the condition of their souls, like the coming day of judgment, like their sin and guilt before a holy God. So they drank. They drank to escape those things. They drank to escape reality. They drank to to pretend that they won't have to deal with their problems. They drank because they are not satisfied with their lives. And many, many people do the same things today with alcohol or smoking weed or using other drugs. They, They don't want to deal with the truth of their inability to cover their sins and make themselves righteous before God, so they try to forget about that. They use that as a diversion get their minds off of those ultimate things. But there is another way that we try to divert our attention away from the judgment to come that Jesus mentions here. We fill all our lives up with busyness. We focus all of our attention on other things or on the cares of this life, as Jesus calls it here. Our jobs, our families, our homes, our kids, our kids' activities, or our hobbies, our sports teams, our wealth, or something uh, that's been very big for people recently, our politics. These things become distractions for us. So we don't have to think about ultimate things. For all of us, when we do actually have some quiet moments in the day, we're not busy with, with these things, We're not actively focused on the cares of this life. What do do we do? 
you got time on your hands, what do you do? Well, we pull out our, our, our little entertainment centers and we watch videos or we listen to music or we listen to things, check the latest social media updates, get our minds, you know, we, we don't want to have a quiet mind, we want to, want to distract ourselves, we want to focus on other things rather than the condition of our souls. We don't want to face the reality that one day we are going to stand before God. And the Lord is saying here, if you've never considered the true condition of your souls, if you've never come to grips with your lost, hopeless condition under sin, well, then you will never cry out for mercy. You will never run to him to be your savior. You will will be utterly unprepared for the day when the Lord will come in judgment. And instead of it being the day of your redemption, the day that you have longed for, it will surprise you like a trap surprises a mouse. So look in. Look in and see if you are prepared for the end. Prepared for that day. Then verse 36, he says, look up. Look up, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Here Jesus calls us to stay awake. Stay awake at all times. Now, in light of the context, it seems what Jesus means by stay awake is not that we are to completely forsake going to bed at night and uh, stay sufficiently caffeinated all day long in order to keep ourselves from napping. No, 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 this is just a figure of speech to warn us to keep alert spiritually, to pay attention to our hearts and our souls, to be on the alert for temptation. It's a warning for us to stay on guard. And like a good doctor, Jesus prescribes the best way for us to do this. That is through prayer. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. So Jesus was saying this to his, to his disciples and others just before he would be betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and let's re- remember what he was doing in that garden before the authorities came to arrest him. Remember also what he had implored his disciples to do along with him there. Uh, in Matthew 26, uh, Jesus models for us this praying for spiritual protection as he was under great distress in the garden. For he knew he was about to endure the full wrath of God poured out on him for the sins of his people. And he prays there for spiritual protection, for help from God to accept, to receive God's will. Then he comes to his disciples and finds them all sleeping. They're all sleeping which showed him that they were completely unprepared for what was about to happen. So what what does Jesus do? Well, he does the same thing he tells us here. He instructed them in Matthew 26, verse 41. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then in in Luke 22, Jesus records, or Luke records Jesus telling his disciples in the garden, pray that you may not enter temptation. 
So friends, do you see what Jesus is saying about your condition and what you need? We need to both be alert, watch, stay awake, be aware that we are prone to fall in a temptation. Be alert and be aware. We are, we, we are prone to believe things that are not true about ourselves and about what the truth is. So we need to be aware of the condition of our souls and we must pray. Pray for spiritual protection. Quite often our prayers are, are filled with, with pleas for physical protection, aren't they? We fill our prayers with, with physical protection. We pray for the Lord to protect us and our kids as, as we travel. We pray for protection for upcoming surgeries. We pray for protection from physical harm. But how often do we pray for spiritual protection? for spiritual protection for our children as they come under the influence of, of teachers, of college professors or friends, or as they watch their videos and, and their shows and listen to music and podcasts from people who are completely secular and even antagonistic towards biblical morality. Do we pray for spiritual protection for ourselves as we daily come under the influence of secular media, entertainment, or people that we, that we interact with. Jesus, Jesus reminds us here of our primary need, which is to prepare ourselves to be able to stand before the Son of Man on that day. And the only way we will be able to do that is if we are living under his grace and his truth through our faith and our confidence in him, we must watch and pray that we would not turn away from our faith in him. And finally, he shows us what we are to look through. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And verse 37 and 38, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning... All the people came to, to him in the temple to hear him. I was 28 years old when I began my seminary education. A uh, little over a year after that, uh, a year after beginning to take classes there in seminary, I was beginning to have trouble reading what my professors were writing on the, the whiteboards. Or when they would, would show PowerPoint slides, the, the text on the screens just looked too small or, or a little fuzzy. And I, I was a little frustrated with that. I thought there must be something wrong with the technology that they're using. Because, you know, technology always messes up. So it must be technology. One night after a full day of class, I shared my frustrations with my, my understanding wife. And she then wisely asked me another diagnostic question. She asked if I was also having trouble reading road signs, especially at night. When I admitted that, yes, I was, well, she, she smiled and informed me that the problem was not with the technology of my professor's classrooms 
or your professor's penmanship. It's you. Your eyes. You need glasses. And let me tell you what a difference that made when I got glasses. Both then and now, for last year, I uh, broke down and I got some progressive lenses so I can now see far away and I can see this here too. It's amazing. <laughs> what a difference it makes. So now I look at everything, everything I look at. I look through these lenses and they help me to see things clearly. Well, friends, God's word serves us in a similar way. God's word helps us to see everything, to see the world, to see our lives, what is going on in the world and in our hearts through the lens of truth. We are not able to understand what's really going on in the world around us without viewing it through the spectacles of God's word. When the disciples looked out and saw the Romans begin to invade Judea and their armies begin to surround Jerusalem, they were supposed to see what was going on in light of what Jesus had told them here. That it was a time of vengeance upon Israel. That God's judgment was falling on those who had rejected him and they were to see those events through the lens of the word of Christ. When we look out on the world and see nation rising against nation in, in, in war, when we see rulers raised up and rulers being put down, we are to understand those events through what Scripture reveals to us. That God is the sovereign one over all things and all events that are taking place. That it's his world. That he is working his plan through all of these events. He is the sovereign one over all things and all things that are happening today. It's his world. It's not China's world. It's not Russia's world or even the United States. We are to understand that Jesus is the sovereign king over all of creation, the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, not some man, not, not Putin, not Biden, not Xi Jinping of China. It's Jesus. So beware, beware what lens you are looking at the world through. Maybe you watch so much Fox News that whatever you see going on in the world, you are interpreting what you see through the lens of Fox News. Or maybe you're looking at the world through, through the lens of Facebook. Maybe you just love watching shows on Netflix or listening to cultural commentators on podcasts. So beware, you, you are probably interpreting everything you see in the world through the lens of their worldview and how they interpret what's going on for you. We will either see through a lens of worldliness or biblical truth. And Jesus is pointing us to make sure we are seeing it all through his words, 
revealed in Scripture. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Their words will all fall away. Only Jesus' words will remain. And when we look in to our hearts, when we look into our hearts and we see there our sin, our pride, our selfishness, our lusts of the flesh, when we look in and realize that we care much more about our own glory than the glory of Christ, when we look in our hearts through the spectacles of God's word and we realize how guilty and condemned we are before a holy and righteous God, then we must, we must look at ourselves through the lens of the gospel. We must look at all, all the ways that we have disobeyed the law and see through the gospel that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of God's law for us. When we see our, our sin-stained hearts guilty of sin, we must look through the lens of the gospel at Jesus on the cross shedding his blood to wash away our sin and make us white as snow. When we look in and see we are condemned before God, we must see Jesus, who was condemned in our place, so that we could be welcomed into God's presence for eternity, so that we could stand before him on that day and be covered with Christ's righteousness. When we look in, we must look in through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 37, we are told that every day Jesus was teaching in the temple. And friends, he is still teaching every day. Every day he's teaching, right here, through this book. I don't think you will ever go wrong following the example of the people here in verse 38. Look there. Look at their example. Rise up early in the morning. Begin your day by hearing his words. Read and think about the word of the Lord and pray for his help to see everything through the lens of his word. There are only two days that matter, today and that day to come. The day you will need to stand before the Son of Man. So make sure you live today in light of that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have uh, been focused on the word of Christ here this morning, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the privilege we have of, of having his word before us, of pondering it, of hearing it. And we pray, Lord, for the blessing of seeing everything in this world, in our lives, in our hearts, our relationships, other people, our jobs, seeing everything through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.